Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, Episode 92, in which I interview Dr. Bones. Dr. Bones is a hoodoo practitioner, a chaos magician, egoist communist, insurrectionist, and illegalist. But first, transformations. This is the segment in which I read my father's book, verse by verse, while we listen to Ricochet by Tangerine Dream. This is Transformations by John Dan Reeb. Chapter 3, verse 12. Pride is another one. In the flesh places, the pinwheel-eyed stuckness junkies, be they Puritans, lechers, dopers, or all three in any concurrent or consecutive order, you and I have seen them, and been there ourselves at one time or another, haven't we, get pouty and exclusive about coming from needing agreement from others. So they exclusivize their agreement to those special in-ones who give it, or, failing that, exhibit their ego differentiation as a weirdness. This gets them fame or incarceration or both in simultaneous or sequential order. Some people even martyr them. That's a rich one, if gold is the same as hot air. Verse 13. Now there are many tribes wandering around in the flesh place. Some walk stridently forward into self-constructed mirror images of where they've been and howl, ain't it awful, while reconstructing their mirrors to proceed with greater dudgeon to the next bang-up. The joy is that there are many tribes, and tribes within tribes. The mirrors will reflect new lies, along with the old ones. Verse 14. The lies reflected by mirrors are often enough like what's ahead to be accurately confused with what's ahead, and thus contribute to the survival of the flesh place junkies' stuckness. That's what makes them continue. When it gets shaky out there, someone offers them another mirror. Just occasionally, someone takes their mirrors away. Verse 15. Creating someone to take the mirrors away lets things flow and happen. Mirrors are always an option, even when taken away. Who ultimately puts them there or takes them away? Let's get to that interview, shall we? Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Greetings! So your name is Dr. Bones. Indeed, Dr. Bones, the one and only. Are, are there any other names that you're known by publicly? Uh, oh, no, no, no. That's I probably have one? a couple of different ones in my arrest record, but beyond <laughs> that, no. <laughs> okay, okay, right on, right on. Cool. So, let's see, our mutual friend suggested that you'd be uh, an interesting uh, uh, guest on the Esoteric Nerd. Wait, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background in magic? 
Uh, sure. Um, my background, uh, as a lot of, you know, baby wizards, I sort of started out kind of feeling out different traditions and everything like that. Um, started out with core shamanism, um, slowly, you know, started experimenting with chaos magic, but I really hit my groove when, uh, I got really knee deep in, uh, traditional southern conjure and hoodoo and uh spending a lot of time at the crossroads graveyard and that's short of uh early shamanic approach where you know you're interacting with everything as spirit as a spirit that you know ha you have a sort of communion with and sort of work with and develop a relationship with translated wonderfully into hoodoo and uh, specifically some of the more necromantic aspects of it so i've been pretty much rocking hoodoo and slinging it as hard as i can since i've been about 16 so i've definitely been over it for quite a while interesting i i only have kind of a surface understanding not a whole lot of direct interaction with that system so you do work uh, you mentioned at crossroads i've read a bit about that um so you you go to major intersections for that or or like a less populated <clears throat> well it it depends really uh the kind of crossroads you Theoretically, you can do it anywhere. <clears throat> you know, you might use a crossroads to dispose of ritual remains. In, in hoodoo, ev as soon as a magic is done, it's not really done because the candle wax, you know, the ash, everything that's left mm. is still sort of in limbo, still working. So depending right. on where you put that, uh, it can affect the work. So, you know, uh, if you want sort of the ritual to spread out, you might just put it at any old intersection. But if you really want to get, like, good, strong crossroads magic, you have to, like – find the right picturesque one it's got to be just the right blend of dark you know it's got to have it, it just has to sort of speak to you on a spiritual level the, mm -hmm. the one i frequent is by a uh, it's an intersection you know it's a not well traveled one um it gets very very dark it's next to, to a body of water so in the summer nights you can hear the cicadas and the pig frogs and there you know you feel like you're in the old south there's only one car coming every five minutes and you can sit there and really do some amazing sort of ritual work and get into contact with the crossroads man you can find spots like that in almost every town if you know where to look how interesting you, you said the crossroads the crossroads man yes and now who um, is that crossroads man in hoodoo mm -hmm. has he has a whole bunch of different names the black man at the crossroads is one but if you were to take the traditional african crossroads deity slash trickster figure and if you could marry him with the german Teufel. So you have this sort of being, this liminal being that exists as a trickster, um, sort of akin to the witch father, who also, you know, deals in bargains, in trades. Um, he assists with luck, like learning skills, stuff like that. So almost sort of like the ancient Mesopotamian, you know, spiritual teachers mixed with your traditional European devil that loves to make deals uh, and, you know, give enchanted items combined with sort of an African – uh, crossroads figure that's opening up the doors and gateways to existence and allowing life, death, love, and luck to flow through. How interesting. Now, does Hoodoo have a European influence? Or it, I mean, it sounds it's, like based on your description. Well, it, 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 it's hard. Hoodoo, number one, the, 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 the core central pillar of Hoodoo is absolutely 100% African-American. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, even, and it, what's funny about hoodoo, especially in the southeast where I'm from, 
you know, if you go to New Orleans, it, you know, where uh, Catholicism was very strong, the saints are a lot more right. popular. And so you'll see maybe some African power candles on, you know, stuff like that. But your old time workers were African-Americans who were Protestants. So they weren't even calling on the saints. They mm. might call on Moses or be doing more plant work, stuff like that. You have that central pillar of sort of this African-American magic that, you know, was passed through uh, the slaves and sort of taken from, you know, African theology. You have a bit of Native American herbalism um, who the slaves sort of interacted with. And so everything in hoodoo you work with is, you know, native to American soil. Uh, and then you have this third angle, which was around the 1920s, 1930s, large publishing houses started selling um, occult paperbacks to uh, traditionally black communities in the South. Mm -hmm. So you would have folks, uh, you know, in Florida buying a copy of the powwow book, you know, or or even uh, the lesser key of Solomon. But they weren't doing any of the rituals. They were after the specific drawings and stuff like that. They were using the uh, <clears throat> magical operations, not as, as, you know, a student of the Goetia would, but using it almost as in a talismanic way. I see. So it's fairly eclectic. Yes, yes. And you'll actually find a lot of uh, traditional African religions are, you know, uh, stuff like Quimbunda, uh, Santeria, you know, these are sort of blendings that have a distinct flavor, you know, absolutely, and a, a sort of core idea and mindset about the world. Uh, but they're perfectly willing to take whatever works and sort of blend things along as they come to them. How interesting. Oh, yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I, I've noticed is a little different, um, especially a lot of people that are coming from, uh, a Western occult mm -hmm. standpoint is in traditional African occultism. And again, I'm no expert. This is just my experience of it. Mm -hmm. There's a distinct sort of view towards objects. It's not so much based on elements, you know, like your sort of traditional Wiccan might be looking to, you know, make this kaleidoscope of different elements or, you know, you have your ceremonial magician, you know, uh, sort of, you know, the four watchtowers or angels or whatever mm -hmm. in hoodoo. The idea is you have these objects and you have these spirits and you can either sweeten them, you can sour them, you can heat them or you can cool them. And so let's say uh, I'm doing something for luck, right? I'm working with a client for luck. I want to get the work moving. I want to get it jumping. So what I can do is add cinnamon. Cinnamon is good for luck. It's good for uh, drawing money, and it sort of adds a light heating element. You know, in uh, like Quimbunda, they would talk about how the spirits of the dead that surround that magical item are actually being heated up and, and you know, sort of made to work. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if I was to add something like cayenne pepper, well, that's like way, way too. Now I'm, I'm getting to the point of like singeing the flesh. Right. So now instead of anything that's you know lucky, it's it's turning to a hurtful item, and so. In these African religions, there's sort of almost like um, an unspoken language of like you could take a Santero, you could take a hoodoo worker, you could take you know someone who's you know practicing Quimbunda, and we would all understand that when we're presenting a glass of water to a spirit, it's a sort of calm and soothe the spirit. The plants that we may use may differ, but if I could taste it and you know detect a peppery taste, I'd be like, oh okay, I know this is you know maybe a confusion work definitely a malefic one this isn't to heal anybody mm -hmm. or you know so there's this interesting sort of not necessarily flavor profile but a sort of like different approach to influencing material ingredients i, I you know i haven't t seen yeah. any sort of western occult sort of talk about like sweetening things or, or you know souring a, a you know certainly not souring a spirit of the goetia to get something done or, or an archangel or anything like that mm -hmm. 
This kind of reminds me a little bit of um, The Cosmic Serpent by Jeremy Narby. You had mentioned uh, something about psychedelics. He was talking about um, going to Peru and talking to the shaman there, and uh, the shaman explaining that over generations of, of drinking ayahuasca and communing with the plants, that eventually you just know. You can look at the plant and you know what it does. And uh, things that, you know, if it looks like an ear, it's probably good for your ear. If it looks like a brain, it's probably good for your brain. Like things that are kind of intuitive are that way because that's nature communicating with itself. I, I don't know if there's a, a relationship between what you're describing and, and that. or if Well, I, I think so because it, it goes in, you know, if you're taking, you know, if you have – uh, a, a woman that you love and you you know you just can't get her to come around if you put you know her name and all sorts of different herbs and stuff in a uh, jar of honey you know there's an instant connection sweetening mm. you want you're sweetening her to you you know <laughs> yeah. just the same as if you hate your boss or uh you could you know shove his name in a jar full of you know dead animals pure rotten vinegar and you know feces and there's instantly okay all these things are just absolutely god awful and i'm putting a piece of him in here you know and then if you wanted to get a, a spirit involved with that you could you know serve him uh you know super hot spicy rum and that's something that's really gonna make the spirit get agitated and, and hyper and so you're sort of like playing these sort of modalities of spirit based on sort of i don't know a sort of kinetic response to them if that makes sense yeah so um uh, oh you mentioned something about the hurricane are you safe right now i mean i i guess i mean the safe <laughs> the safest we're gonna be i mean i'm not in south florida I mean, oh good you know yeah those those people are kind of fucked I oh mean, like, man if i if i was in south florida i would evacuate and i mean it takes a lot for me to evacuate but no i'm I, i'm good where i'm at yeah i i, I have no worries so as far as um, necromancy, I'm curious, do you work with specific, uh, like, people that you knew while they were alive? Or how how does the necromancy, I mean, it's just outside of my, what I've practiced. Well, it, when I say, it's almost more like a, a folk necromancy. Okay. Um, you know, in hoodoo, there's a sort of very simple necromancy of going to a graveyard, finding a spirit that is sort of, in lieu with the kind of work you're looking to do, often people go for soldiers. Why soldiers? They they spent a majority of their life obeying commands. So the idea is that they're fairly easy, and they're you know they're kind of willing to fight. So you go into a cemetery, you sort of pay your way into the spirits there. You state aloud what you're looking for, and you know a, an experienced reader will suddenly feel a pull towards somewhere, or you'll have a relationship with the spirit already, perhaps. And you'll find a spirit there. You'll explain your case, what you need him to do. And um, rather than in the traditional Western, you know, focus of, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you summon this spirit at home and, you know, do whatever and send him out to, you know, attack or learn things. In hoodoo, what you do is you would pay the spirit with maybe some whiskey, some cigarettes, what have you, and you would take the graveyard dirt and you'd pay with a dime as well. You take that graveyard dirt home and you can add that to a traditional like hexing candle or a souring jar and now you're getting the physical presence of the spirit you've made a bargain with involved. Hmm. So now that spirit has a direct link and can begin influencing your enemy. Or you can make a, you know, a doll to sort of house that spirit if you're working with them over a long period of time. You know, all sorts of stuff. But I've, I've, I have a couple of spirits that I work with. There's one in my local cemetery that's particularly interesting. Um, he's a guy who somehow fought in the Spanish-American War, 
the Boxer Rebellion and World War One, mm-hmm. and survived all of them. So he's a really tenacious, um, just scrappy guy. doesn't doesn't care about anything. Just loves to fight. He's a huge, huge fan of alcohol. He's a little hard to sort of control. At, like specific objectives he's not really good with but if you send him on a general hey just start ruining things over here he, he gets the picture pretty easily which is always a kind of good spirit to have around hmm. interesting i can't help but since i'm coming come from a from a buddhist background i can't help but wonder how like the the relationships that we establish you know in that way perhaps while we're alive how that continues forward like what's is there an end game is there uh or, or is that just outside of consideration? Well, in uh, I'm in the Caribbean, in sort of African traditional religions that have like spread throughout the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, there's this. It's sort of commingled with a uh, movement out of France called Spiritism. Mm-hmm. You know, Alan Kardec and all that. So the idea is that both of you are sort of working for your elevation. Mm. Right. So when I'm going to the cemetery and I'm employing a spirit and he's helping, you know, the idea is often in a more Kardec influenced practitioner, you'd say, I'm going to pray for you. You know, I'm going to help elevate your spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have um, specifically in Quimbunda, you know, you'll have these spirits that I mean, they are dressed up, you know, devils, pitchforks. I mean, you know, they're, they're the, you know, definitely not something like you'd want <laughs> sitting at home with your you know average Protestant family like, oh, what's that? Uh, but the idea is that you're getting these really, really dark spirits. But by working with you, you're sort of uplifting them and allowing them, you know, to shake off all these negative attributes that they had. Uh, so, again, now hoodoo is more Protestant, you know, a background sort of Christian background, and so there's almost a sort of like shrug of the shoulders, like, well. God lets me do it, so there's got to be some plan here. You know, there's an old, like, there was an old hoodoo phrase, like, everything that happens, God has got a hand in it. Mm-hmm. So it was so easy to be like, wow, you hexed your neighbor and killed them. It's like, well, obviously God allowed it to happen, so it couldn't have been bad. You know, and so there's like, huh. I, that's one of the things I loved about hoodoo was not necessarily, I wouldn't call it amoral, but it has a very sort of Old Testament flavor to it it's like malcolm x said you know you know be kind be courteous obey the law but the minute somebody puts a hand on you you put them in the graveyard Hmm. and that there's very much that mentality in hoodoo of like it's not like you do have to like most readers will say you know you know go to your spirits you know pray on it you know do a reading but there's nothing saying that you're going to go to like hell or anything if you know like put a death hex on a rapist or anything like that. Right. It's like again much more old, case old, by old, case, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More maybe mercenary might be the term. Hmm. I can't help but uh, when you were talking about spirits being employed, I can't help but think that there's too many Confederate soldiers marching around on the astral. Oh God, you know. I wonder if there's is- anything we can do about that. Oh, I'm sure. Oh man, I'm sure you could. Uh, <laughs> I bet, a lot of times, I think about that too. You know, what is the sort of spiritual dimensions of the time that we're we're living in, and yeah. especially in the United States? I mean, we this is a whole whole new, different ball game than what we've been sort of yeah. traditionally used to. This is some really wild shit. Yeah, and uh, it almost I, makes I, me I, think that the whole you know thing about uh, being Islamophobia and then before that the Cold War everybody's afraid of the Russians was just to distract people from the internal issues you know oh yeah and that that's the thing like especially people 
who have been, in, you know, in these sort of leftist scenes, especially have been warning people about this for a long time. And, I, you know, I live in the South. You know, it blows my mind after Trump got elected and, like, people were seeing, like, you know, all these, these people say these absolutely, like, outlandish, you know, crazy things, you know, yelling at Mexican people, you know, oh, this isn't my America. And, you know, every person in the South wanted to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yes, it is. This is still Klan country down here. You know, people disappear down here. If you're, especially in Florida, if you're black, you can't go into Two Egg, Florida after dark. You you can't. It's still kind of a sundown town. There are. An, I, I I work with an African American woman. She has family in Mississippi. She will fill up her car in Florida, get a spare gas tank, and drive with a loaded pistol in the passenger seat, and she will not stop from Florida to Mississippi. It is just it's this illusion that this country is some kind of progressive, you know, city on a hill is absolute horseshit to anyone that's actually, you know, been outside of maybe the West Coast or the more enlightened Northeast, right. like down here in the South. It's it's still just violence and um, good old boy systems and, you know, just people getting away with the most outlandish acts of murder and nothing ever happening. It's been that way since forever and it's not stopped. But I think now, you know, especially with the advent of, you know, cameras and, and phones and everything like that, it's just too much to get away from. You know, I, that's one of the amazing things to me is 20 years ago, your average American had a faith in the police that was sort of unquestioned. Now, the amount of people that would just accept something that a police officer says right. just because he's a cop have shrunk to, you know, a very, very, very small minority. Yeah. And just, just sheer the fact that, you know, people are beginning to doubt the power structures and to doubt the sort of world that we've all been promised is great and everything's fantastic and, you know, by the way, worship this flag. People are really starting to get into a weird position yeah. and starting to wonder what's going it's on. It's surreal now with Trump and everything. Oh, yeah. Hmm. We got we have a meme president. You know what I mean? Like, we're, think about, like, the president of the United States shared a meme on his personal Twitter account of him body slamming CNN. Hmm. Like, just... Like we have slipped into a like comic book of the Invisibles, or maybe we're all trapped in a a novel of you know like Cosmic Trigger. Like somewhere along the line, this reality is broken down, and it's just getting stranger and stranger. Yeah. Have you seen the Juggalo march that's supposed to happen? No, I haven't. All right, let me let me paint the picture for you okay. here. Okay. I'll use my magical writer abilities <laughs> to sort of give you a visual here. Washington D.C. An alt-right protest is leading the way. Swastikas and cries for white nationalism fill the air. All of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, rush clowns. Face-painted clowns from the inner depths of America, blaring what they refer to as horrorcore rap. Juggalos by the millions, by the thousands, all rushing towards the alt-right. Oh, yeah, man. It's, nice. it's going to be... Uh... <laughs> Like, out of a tear gas cloud arises a man in clown face paint to do battle with a Nazi. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. It's, it's an acid trip. It really. Is. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, because it's a it's a paradox when you're talking about like the because the, the people that are the most outraged. I mean, not the most outraged, but you know, people that are kind of peace loving, forward thinking, grew up on Sesame Street. You know, like, uh, like, like, have kind of 
morals and 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 want to see a world where we can all kind of share in abundance you know what we have these people aren't gonna arm themselves and march you know i mean they're they're generally not i mean there's there's it takes a certain temperament to be you know a a pacifist that'll fight nazis you know it's weird it's such a strange thing well, and I think also, and you know, we have to admit the fact that you know this isn't just by accident. You know, with mm. the you know creation of COINTELPRO and everything like that, and you know, the United States government knew it had a potential disaster on its hands in the 1960s, so it made sure to eliminate as much as it could all this sort of militant activity and um, support it. And it's actually interesting because there's been a lot of evidence of like sort of weird backdoors with the CIA and a lot of like early new age gurus. And also at the same time, uh, what they called the Jesus revolution, like towards the tail end of the sixties, I believe it was where you had this sudden spring out of nowhere about how conservatism was so great. And, you know, Oh man, we love Jesus and all this good stuff. And, you know, you had kids even be called like Jesus freaks, quote unquote. But Mm. I I think, you know, especially, to go to that point, it is interesting that, you know, you do have this whole subsection of the United States that, as you said, are these forward thinking people. When you meet these people in your everyday life, they're, they're great people. Yeah. They share, they're kind, they're, they're, they're the best kind of neighbor. Awful. You know, they're going to bake you. A, yeah. They're, they're going to hold hands and ohm with you. And, you know, on any day of the week, that's, that's great. But those people, their entire existence has also basically been protected by this huge wall of militarism that has funded death squads in Nicaragua, that overthrew the government of Granada, right. that has you know, sold arms and weapons to every two-bit dictator that could kill as many of his people as possible. Yeah. There's all these mountains of bloodshed that have made this ring where this you know, sort of quasi-peace has existed. And I think now – you look at it, you know, you, you have many of these sort of uh, – because a lot of these people are sort of liberal Democrats. You know, um, Traditionally, they s- seem to sort of vote that way. And they're really having a hard time accepting the reality where not paying attention to a Nazi isn't enough. Mm. And again, especially as someone who lives in the South – you know, for us down here, it's never been like that because it's – you can't just ignore the Klan. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very – it's and what's so funny to me is especially all these people that you know you're describing these peace loving com it's primarily a sort of white phenomenon where you have these sort of white liberals who of course find it very easy to say well you know if you just be very calm around police officers they won't bother you that's very good that works if for you <laughs> yeah, if if you're yeah. driving a you know 20 you know 16 I learned to stop telling my cop stories <laughs> people are like oh lucky you <laughs> yes. yeah i totally love to get away with it i was obviously on acid <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's it's like it's just you know for a lot of people they, they've gotten away with it or they you know have these experiences yeah. and they think that it's you know, the norm when you've got people, meanwhile, you know, you've got a 12 year old kid playing in a, in a park and a cop pulls up and shoots him in two seconds. Yeah. You know, and then the, the whole world is wondering why, or, you know, I don't I've know if you saw that when I'm walking with someone who they profile and I'm like not used to, you know, a big, tall, bald cop just glaring like at me or at the person right next to me. I'm like, dude, I can see you, you know, like. What are you doing, you know? And then, you know, we hear things about, like, I don't know if it was during Occupy or before Occupy, but there was a lot of a lot of cops being hired from the South that 
Yeah, I don't know if this is true, but I mean, I, there's just things I've heard. It's, it's hard to trust memes and stuff, but, oh, you yeah. know, that they were making sure that, you know, you're okay with, uh, you know, beating down on people of other races. And they're like, oh, yeah, I enjoy it. Okay, come, All the come time. work in L.A., you know, it's like. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't doubt it. If you look at the history of, uh, in L.A. specifically, they had that anti-gang unit that basically, you know, got tattoos when they killed people. Mm. You know, I mean, all sorts of like just off the wall shit and of course here in the south you know again long long history of it and uh, one of the things i find interesting also is that now it's getting into the magical world and now that sort of question of you know yeah, there was well, that frog ex- thing yeah oh pepe yeah, yeah. But, yeah the yeah, 4chan discovered uh you know meme Chaos magic magic yeah uh which, you know, I, I, I don't quite understand, you know, the, I mean, I do, I get it, you know, why the traditional occultists like to ha-ha at that. But any sort of person familiar with chaos magic can see the potential. You create a sigilized image, a meme, right? right? And then you have thousands of people sort of put energy into it, either by sharing it, laughing at it. I just did a, um article for Gods and Radicals about a group of occult gorillas in Maine. And what it was a group of witches and wizards who um, were tired of the abuses happening in the main mental health system. And they did this campaign, a sort of combination of straight up magic, um, underground organizing and above ground sort of enchantments to really get the ball rolling on exposing some of the abuses in Maine. So you, you have this group of wizards and witches that were summoning Kali and doing all this stuff to sort of hex people within the hospitals. They were throwing enchantments on every above ground person they could. And uh, one of the things they did that was interesting to me was they created what they called a digital poppet. And so they made this Facebook page for this woman, uh, Mary Mayhew, who was the head of the sort of uh, health services there. Um, And they did it in a uh, ritualistic fashion. And so they would make this woman say the most, you know, uh, gross caricatures of her beliefs and people would believe it was her you know this page was getting more activity than her and all sorts of like just crazy stuff happened and then a couple of weeks after they ended that operation um the u.s government did a audit of the main mental health system and just it blew the doors open to how much just insane abuse had been happening um so you know that's you know something that's going on you have a, a lot of um sort of magical orders um, sort of weirdly getting near the alt-right. You've got a big split in paganism right now. Um, You know, where are people falling politically? I I think, again, I'm, you know, I'm not super old or anything, but I can't think of another time where the occult world and the magical world has beginning to get so political. Even the wizards and witches are starting to pick sides. The, uh, I I remember in um, the early nineties, you know, when the internet was coming around, pretty much the alt groups were the only place where you found occultists, uh, alt magic, um, you know, and it, 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 yeah, politics didn't really come up much, but it, it, I guess what it was is there weren't that many occultists communicating or online, or if they were, they were just communicating about very specific things, and now it's sort of nuanced where the people that have been online and openly occultists for a long time all kind of vaguely know who each other are and then so you end up you know noticing that oh my god that whole order over there is really doing magic to protect trump from these witches over here that are attacking yeah. him. like are you freaking serious you know like yeah it's gross oh yeah but nobody even knew who, who those people were back then in the 90s so it's kind of 
they were probably, they had their political opinions, but uh, only their friends knew about them because it was just a different time. Oh, yeah. But I think I think also we're really starting to get into, uh, we're starting to see a sort of gradual deployment of magical technology into the political sphere. You know, yeah. you again, had the whole 4chan during the election. Um, I know of quite a few leftists who are beginning, to, you know, I wrote a whole book on it. Yeah. Um, well, marketing, I mean, Edward Bernays style marketing, propaganda and all of that stuff. I mean, magic, propaganda, it's kind of like where's where does one end and the other one begin? If you have a symbol or 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 a phrase that gets stuck in people's head, you could call it Good marketing. You could call it neurolinguistic programming. You could call it chaos magic. You know, a, a meme. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, but now Sigil. we're getting to the point where people are putting, you know, uh, squares of Mars and Molotovs. You know, this is hmm. now we're going beyond mere sort of like, you know, uh, programming to outright invoking deities to be involved in protests and things like that. Um, I had a uh, someone send me uh, a message they had used uh, a protection recipe of mine um that i mentioned in my book uh, curse your boss hex the state take back the world mm -hmm. they used this protection recipe and they actually went to charlottesville and it was basically a, a, a sort of tea that was made of all sorts of roots and stuff like that and then you put bandanas in it and you asperg each other and you wear the bandanas and she wrote me you know i've never done any magic before i've never been interested in any occultism i like your articles I wanted to try it. We went to Charlottesville. My friend was two inches away from that car, oh and she honestly believes that your protection recipe helped save her. The minute we used it, we felt something. We don't know what we felt. I just want to say thank you. And I've actually had quite a few other anarchists ask for all sorts of different stuff. So, I mean, right now in the streets of America where they are, there are these political confrontations – out there in the sidelines, you have a group of protesters that are invoking deities, that are sort of rubbing law keep away oil on them. So, I mean, like, the, 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 the war is getting weirder and weirder yeah. by the minute. And then meanwhile, you have these weird evangelicals invoking the name of Jesus and rolling their eyes back and putting their hands on Trump. So it's, it's very strange. Isn't that magic, though? I always it thought is. that was magic, too. Yeah. You know, if, if Jesus is just another spirit. And to, a, a lot of Christianity, to me, specifically how it plays out in America, it, to me, it's almost indistinguishable from, like, a Norse paganism. Mm. You know, you've got this big all father It's not, it's not comf, com, comfy, feely Jesus, you know, that likes to hold hands <laughs> and give money. It's big warrior Jesus with an M16 right. that blesses American troops and drinks beer. Mouth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's all it's all the book of Revelation, uh, revelations and it's all like waiting for your neighbor to get sent to hell so you can laugh at about how great you are. Yeah. It's a very sort of old school religion to me that has almost nothing to do with anything Jesus talked about, let alone any sort of gnostic principles or anything like that. So but yeah, you've got I saw the other day it was this woman, she was had set up this altar. Okay, with an American flag as the sort of thing draping over it, and some kind of like horn that I guess was in the Bible where you like blow out the of it. Chauffeur. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the chauffeur, not the person who yeah. drives the limo, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chauffeur or something. Yeah. So she's got this American flag as an altar. She's got this horn, and then she's got like a Bible, and then she's got a sword. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking like, this woman is 
straight up crossed into like the occult field wow. and just dressed it in nationalism and Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's, it's indistinguishable for a while. These new dominionists, this group in DC, that were trying to spread this sort of, you know, Christian theocracy. They, these people were praying that God give people cancer, mm. you know? And so, especially as a cultist, you know, we'd like to laugh at like the evangelicals and stuff like that. But at a certain point, magic is magic. Yeah. You get enough people praying to a deity that clearly doesn't give a shit, <laughs> about, you know, who he Near gives cancer. Yeah. 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 It's like, you got it. Cancer on the way. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So <laughs> the occult warfare has definitely been carrying on for a while. Yeah. Something about Kali Yuga. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. For me, I, I, I think it's, you know, par for the course. I think this specific plane of existence that we reside in is a never-ending place of strife and conflict because that's what it is. The spirit world, at least in my experience, is a place of permanence. Mm -hmm. You know, Thor, uh, Legba, these beings are always what they are. You know what I mean? Like, there's never going to be a day that Thor becomes something other than Thor. You know, there's no there's no chance for dynamic change. These personalities can have great depth to them, you know? Yeah. But uh, Aaron Samdi is never going to be a clean-cut guy who's just going to try to get th his life together. You know, he's always going to be this, you know, lewd, you know, death figure. He's always going to be that. Here in the material world, it seems like change is the, is the principal factor, a sort of amoral change in that it can go any way. And so you have these sort of entities and everything like that swarming all over it to try to influence the world as best they can. Mm. And, you know, I, I've often wondered if maybe that's something that – um spirits and things get out of it it's like you ever wonder uh i think it was um gordon white that raised this question it's like why are spirits so interested in sacrifices you know it's like clearly it can't be nutritional value because then every grocery store would just be like loaded with gods and goddesses just chilling around their favorite produce or whatever there's something in the act of giving and offering that is valued by the spirits my theory, my personal theory is, one, they, there's some kind of etheric or spiritual or you know energetic, whatever you want to call it, exchange that goes on when we declare the passage of ownership. So let's say you have a bottle on a table. You know, a, a spirit has a hard time necessarily making that bottle, quote unquote, his or freely right. acting upon it. Doesn't have a credit it. card, can't go to the liquor store. Well, yeah, or, or even just, you know, it's like, I mean, on a purely ghost level, uh, you, it requires a lot of energy to pick a bottle up and move it, yeah. right? Or to, you know, redirect the house how you want it. And so sort of saying to the, the entities, you know, this is yours, you can do what you want with it, I think sort of makes it easier for them. But also I've had a theory that I think maybe spirits and gods and goddesses and all sorts of things, they plug into our experience of the offering. So I think they're not just you know, sort of partaking in the energy of, let's say, the offering of a pork loin. They're sort of taking in all of your experience, you know, uh, what a pork loin is to you, the memories associated with it, yeah. the smell, the taste. Is this the recipe your grandmother made? And they've got all these sort of multifaceted experiences and changes and, you know, whirling tempests all of a sudden through your act of will, through your act of intention, projected onto this thing. And I think perhaps that's really what the spirits drink in and 
enjoy because otherwise they would just you know like i said you you could just hang around at any grocery store or liquor store and just eat up whatever you wanted right interesting it makes me think of um you know because again i'm coming from kind of a vajrayana buddhist perspective in um in tibetan buddhism padmasambhava the one who brought brought vajrayana over there was talking about how even the gods one day they're uh their wells dry up, and after millennia, their names are forgotten, and then they pass on also to uh, their next level. But then he talks about um, the hungry ghosts. I mean, it's not just him, it's other sutras, but um, it makes me think of our addictions and how if somebody, for example, is addicted to cigarettes. I don't know if, do you watch Twin Peaks? Oh, no, okay, no, but I've no heard spoilers. I, I won't do any spoilers, but let's say if somebody's addicted to cigarettes, then they're on the other side. You know, they, they really want a cigarette, but, you know, uh, they don't have lungs to inhale it, and they call those the hungry ghosts who just are, are full of their craving or whatever it is, sex or, or meat or whatever it is. And so if they can cling to somebody, whether knowingly in, in, in the kind of relationship you're describing or unknowingly, you know, maybe they're an invisible friend or, or just uh, a, a comforting presence that comes around and says, oh, they're there, let's eat, you know. And so it oh, kind yeah. of gets to partake in the addiction of the person who's troubled and, and all of that kind of thing. Oh, so oh it's, yeah. It's Our... interesting, like, it, it, it seems like taking a conscious, approaching those relationships consciously is at least a step toward being free of them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And again, especially as spiritual people, I think it's an interesting dimension. Like how much of your average human being, you know, they, they mostly go through life, you know, very sort of unconsciously. And you wonder, you know, all the sorts of different spiritual forces and manifestations that are just swirling about them endlessly. And I think also, again, this sort of piggybacks onto politics. You have a temple filled with 30,000 people. They're at the height of emotional gnosis. They are brimming with energy. They can barely stay in their seats. They're excited. They've been thinking about this all year. Everyone is filled with this amazing energy. Everything's about to go. And then you drop the national anthem and you have a big waving flag yeah. and 30,000 people stare at that flag and project that energy that's happening at every super bowl game yeah vestal virgins you know, all over again yeah. yeah yeah like there is this weird civic religion going on and and it's so weirdly like timed and you know uh, especially if you look at like some some of the absolutely batshit things like the royal family does in england you cannot tell me that these people are not very aware of occult techniques and stuff yeah. like that like and even in the uh, in the united states there's just you know the, the very keen idea of uh ritualism and sort of energetic abilities Symbols. you know yeah i mean and there's evidence that the u.s government isn't certainly you know unaware um there was a program called mk often where the CIA worked with a lot of occultists. Uh, it was a sort of sister program to MK Ultra. You have uh, Thomas Aquino, I think is his name. I could be wrong, but who is a high-ranking member of the Church of Satan who wrote uh, a manual for the American um, – not this. It's the wrong name, of course, but basically the psychological operations of the U.S. military, sort of welding a sort of magical idea about you know needing to absolutely believe in the results that you're working towards and sort of having them manifest throughout the world. Even Trump 
um, his entire family has been sort of like really, really into this sort of like positive thinking cult. Uh, you know, like, you know, as long as you keep this sort of positive mindset of what's going to happen and that everything that you think about is going to manifest right. your, you know, so yeah, there's no of, objective reality. So that as long as you visualize it hard enough and just insist that it's reality, then, you know, yeah, then the world just comes in and, and forces it. Yeah, Which it's like, oh, terrifying. global warming. Well, that's your opinion. My opinion is yeah. different. But, yeah, and it's scary when it's like, well, now he controls yeah, the fingers on the button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Global warming? Not if there's not any EPA. <laughs> Damn it, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, at least the ruins will be fun to pick over. Um, yeah, they always are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really do think that, um, I, you know, I think the – one, I, I a long time, well, not a long time ago, but last year I read an interesting doctoral thesis on like um, how the Sunni and Shiite split happened in Iraq, and it was fascinating because um, originally there there wasn't. Hmm. You know, we keep talking about how like, oh man, there's Sunnis and Shiites. They're just always, you know, fight. in Iraq that hadn't happened. In fact, it was kind of um, before the invasion. It was kind of seen as very rude to talk about which sort of you know aisle you walk down there. Hmm. And um, it all started when American generals – to sign any sort of government document, you had to declare what sort of uh, – if you were a Sunni or Shiite, which was weird because you know, it was something, oh, I've never sort of you – know, that's kind of odd. And I, again, you know, the, I'm sure the American government knew exactly what they were doing. Dividing so – exactly. So these people started talking about it and needing to talk about it and do everything and like they're sort of – you know, this sort of consciousness started arising, which was a legitimate, you know, um, the Shiites did have an absolutely, you know, a long list of, you know, egregiousness. But the Sunni um, people weren't necessarily aware that they had sort of been ruling over or pushing aside the Shiites in public life. And so as these two had sort of began having these different narratives, you know, you had the Shiites that had this narrative that finally we are free from our oppressor and you had the sunnis saying well wait 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 we're not oppressors no 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 you, there there wasn't any oppression which is interesting because you have that same argument happening in the united states where you know you have the alt-right oh no 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 what uh, white people are great we've never done anything wrong christopher columbus was a great guy you all are the bad problem you know and you have the you know the whole rest of the country it's like actually white supremacy is a real thing um you know american prisons or slave camps like there's a whole history here and so you have this sort of split in the Iraqi population based on ethnic lines or religious lines and it had this weird socio-narrative going on behind it. Well, eventually it got worse and worse and worse until the two sort of uh, sides became m more bitter enemies than they were with the American troops. So they were more interested in killing each other and it just sort of fractured the country and, and you know split it apart. Mm -hmm. You see the same sort of thing in Yugoslavia, which again, 100% a targeted effort. Um, Yugoslavia was a multi-ethnic, large, powerful socialist nation. It had the, I, I believe, either the largest or the second largest army on the European continent. Yugoslavia had weathered all the, you know, uh, horrible things that the Soviet Union could never adapt to, and the economy was good. People were starting people were literally starting to identify themselves not as Croats or Serbians but as Yugoslavs. They were becoming a, a sort of multi ethnic unified state. And then the United States military and the uh, high sort of ranking D 
deep state within the United States started fomenting ethnic unrest and creating all these divisions and complications till finally it just broke open. And when I look out at the political situation in the United States, I see a huge split. And it's not a split that can just be talked over anymore. You know, I mean, we, we've we're reaching the point where the two sort of sides are living in alternate realities. They don't read the same news. They don't acknowledge the same history. They might as well be living on two different planets. Yeah. You know, and again, as a person in the South, you see the same thing with the Confederate flag. There are plenty of people in the South, dumb as they are, that honest to God think there's nothing wrong with the Confederate flag. They just think it's a Southern thing. And that's it. And they so to them, anytime you do anything to the Confederate flag, you're attacking their existence as a Southerner. Yeah. They, you know, meanwhile, everyone else absolutely, you know, acknowledges the horrors of slavery and says, this is a bad thing. This has got to go. Two different sides living in two totally different worlds. And they're so far apart that it's, it's to create this dialogue is almost impossible and especially when you get to the extreme ends when you have a group of people saying actually our lives matter more than you we have a you know uh they we support uh white nationalism we do this that and the other you know how do you have a conversation with that person that says your life isn't as valuable that says they're gonna back the cops no matter what that trayvon martin deserved this that or the other you know, these people are living in sort of alternate dimensions. No, no way of communication is going to get a hold. Of them. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's it what's it like to be a Buddhist through all this? Especially, I, I you're you're based in the United States, right? Yeah. So you're in the thick of it. Like how 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 as a I mean, certainly, man, the whole suffering thing is definitely ratcheting up. So uh, how do you keep how do you keep emotionally detached from what could potentially be the next American Civil War? Well, I guess that's not too hard. Looking at, um, yeah, I, I guess the short answer to that would be looking looking more at a geologic time scale, and uh, like you said, you know, picking through ruins, kind of like, you know, approaching approaching it like uh, Doctor Who, kind of like uh, a, a socio anthropological. Uh, time traveling, dimension hopping tourist, you know, um, and you know, acknowledging the inevitability of one's death and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, uh, yeah. There's, there's all the different various rings. I don't know if I'm speaking on behalf of Buddhism or just speaking as myself. But there's, um, you know, kind of what's going on with with me personally and the people right around me and then families and then, and then, you know, my local you know, Los Angeles and then there's the country and then there's the world. And then, you know, then it kind of pops and goes out into, in, into space and, and things like that. So I don't know. I mean, I've always been Buddhist, so it's not like, um, it's not like I read Dharma bums and decided to smoke pot and not care. It's not, <laughs> not, not that form of Buddhism. Um, my uh, my dad was born in Shanghai, China, and kind of culturally identified with Chinese Buddhism and, and eventually Tibetan Buddhism. So I kind of grew up uh, practicing a form of Tibetan mantra and, and using bells and that kind of thing and approaching things from, yeah, like you said, the uh, the concept that the, the wheel of life and death is needless suffering and that the... Uh, the way out of, you know, the really deep suffering is to not cling, uh, to not, to not, uh, 
what they, they, they translate it as desire, um, which isn't necessarily, uh, I think clinging and grasping are, are good terms. It's kind of like that idea of addiction. Um, in a Vajrayana Buddhist sense, clinging to separate self is the ultimate, you know, leads to hell, basically leads to the hell realms. Um, and the most extreme form of that is to become a god <laughs> and, um, and then be worshipped for thousands of years and then eventually, you know, your wells dry up and then you have to behold your own disintegration. Um, so, so we're taught to emulate Avalokiteshvara or um, the, the, the being of the embodiment of great compassion. Have you seen The Golden Child, Eddie Murphy? Oh, that's a good, mm -hmm. good movie. Um, <laughs> the Dalai Lama in his own lineage is considered the embodiment of Avalokiteshvara but you know the next lineage over they're like oh well yeah that's his lineage but um you know Kuan Yin is the same entity Kanon uh in Japan and Avalokiteshvara in India and um that's the the bodhisattva of, of compassion so it's um compassion but not pity is what my dad's teacher would say that pity is more where you feel pain like where for example if you're looking at jesus on the cross you can feel compassion for one who has to go through the suffering and you can even feel compassion for the people who are are chanting crucify him you know because on a transcendental level you can see kind of what the processes that they're going through and the inevitable suffering that that will result from that but to feel pity in a certain context is is to go ouch oh that must hurt oh geez you know and then and then there's there's kind of like i i consider like a wrong interpretation of christianity where um where you heap guilt on top of that where you say it's oh, your yeah. fault that these hurting Look imagine what you did to him. yeah imagine the pain in your own wrist imagine it in your own feet you know it's your fault he's doing that you know and it's that's not helping you know that's 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 just traumatizing people at a very young age, <laughs> often, and um, so I don't know. What I, I guess I, I went far afield from the original question. As a Buddhist, how do I deal with Nazis? I don't know. They're outside of my jurisdiction, I guess. As a Buddhist, our swastika is good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, they they fucked it up in um, in Bhutan. Swastika is a girl's name. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's where I'm headed in a couple months. So my, my girlfriend. Um, uh, you know what? Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's his name? You're uh, so limited. Trevor you know Noah I mean? was talking about his friend Hitler. <laughs> Did you catch that? Because <laughs> he's from oh, South Africa, so he had to explain that. You know, the British were the occupiers, and so when they heard that there was this this person who was rising up that the British didn't like, they were like, wow, if they can upset the British, then I want to name my child after this great leader. <laughs> and so he's like, so I have a friend named Hitler. You know, that's his first name. That's what we call him, you know. And never thought it was strange until I came to America and I said my friend Hitler and everybody looked at me weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe there's actually a sect of neo-Nazis in Mongolia and they full regalia, dress up, like they celebrate Hitler's birthday. And I forget, there was some kind of sort of a British talk show host or whatever. And he's there and he's like, this is the most insane thing I've ever huh. seen in my life. Are they and Mongolian? Then in, down, huh? They're Mongolians in Mongolia? Yeah, Mongolians. Like in, huh. in, in the capital of Mongolia, they're driving down in full Nazi regalia with pictures of Adolf Hitler. Like How weird. just like ecstatic. 
And yeah, and it's just like, what the f- how in the Why? shit? Why? What is it? Yeah, but, what? What's going on here? You know, but uh, you know, I, I, I find, I don't know, Buddhism is very interesting to me. Um, I especially, um, I find, um, you probably know the line better than I do, where like someone's asking the Buddha about the afterlife and he's like, basically to sort of sum it up, like you're basically asking, you know, I'm trying to remove an arrow out of you and you won't let me until, you know, I give you the name of who made the arrow and how it was made. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That's, that sounds right. Yeah. I find that uh, in my own occult experience is a very helpful tip because, you know, um, one of the big stumbling blocks uh, when I started out doing magic was like, because, you know, I've got an inquisitive mind, I'm, you know, I'm a journalist, so I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure things out, you know, and so I, I, before I could do anything, I just had to figure out how it worked, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so, you know, I'd have all these spell failures and everything like that, because as immediately after it was done, I'd be like, all right, so how, how could this possibly happen? You know, I'd be thinking about how it could manifest, I'd be thinking about, you know, how everything right. I was, you know, saying it until eventually I started to learn to trust myself and get into a sort of very visceral um, way of doing magic and that everything's based on feeling yeah. like a, a, a lighter a touch sort of, maybe. Well, yeah. And at, like I, I, I have a very sort of kinetic sense, like, you know, like uh, it's, it's hard to describe, especially as a writer. It makes sense for me. It's like um, if I'm writing, you know, I'll have a certain paragraph and the only way I can describe it is like it sings, like it just feels right. Yeah. You know, the words just go right. And like it's you actually feel it like in your arms and your body. As soon as I started doing magic like that to where it was like sort of putting a song together, really treating it like art, it really started to uh, string perfectly. Yeah. And the idea that I didn't need to like have this whole sort of scientific explanation for everything – really helped me out but it's interesting i always find it interesting to talk to buddhists because i myself have absolutely loved the taoists i I read you know tons of stuff and i find um especially the painting of the three vinegar tasters Mm. to be like uh so interesting and it sort of goes with what i have seen in um sort of traditional african theology in that there's like this idea that you know this is what life is you know, there there absolutely is the beautiful moments of a child being born, while at the same time there is a drone strike wiping out a wedding party of 43 people and spreading their blood and guts, you yeah. know, 30 feet in all directions. Like, these things exist. And one of the things, I, I, I can never detach myself from them. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a sort of, you know, I see these things... And I try not to – I don't I, – I, as a um, – my own politics, I'm a sort of individualist, um, anarchist, an egoist communist. And so I don't believe in morality. I don't believe in you know good or bad. I think these are sort of moral attachments that we put to actions after they're done to make ourselves feel better about them. You know, uh, what one man's murder is, is another man's, you know, justified killing. You know, uh, it's always people coming together after the fact to determine what a action is. Right. And then giving someone a dollar. Oh, you're making them dependent on you. You're you're affirming the class structure, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Morality is just an an invention for ourselves. Nature is amoral. And there's like, you know, this very big, like, break between like traditional witchcraft and new age sort of stuff like 
and how you view nature. You know, your new age sort of thing with nature is like, oh man, the world and the universe is great and it's here to care for us. Where it's like traditional witchcraft is like, yes, the universe is great. Earth is sacred. And if you're not careful, she will kill you at the drop of a hat and not give a shit. You know, it's like these right. people that go, go into the woods and they think, oh, nature will take care of us. No, nature doesn't care. Nature, nature is at the nature is what gives you air and oxygen and you know allows beautiful One babies way or to the be other born life wins <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but it's it's also the sh- the stuff that's like killing old people with heat strokes you know right. what i mean like it's or wolves eating people yeah the the maggots and the and the viruses and the little bacterium they need to eat too <laughs> so like accepting, we need to break down and decompose every once in a while <laughs> exactly it's it's all got a thing for it. and sort of accepting the universe as like okay this is a world of constant flux and change. In my mind, I can accept that. And while at the same time I can say, well, this is what I want to do in it. And so I, I think it's a very like fine line between like detachment and acceptance of like, well, yeah, people, people die. This is, this is what happens. And then knowing also like why it happens, you know, accepting the fact that, you know, um, Africa has been absolutely brutalized since its independence period. I mean, if you look up the history of the Congo alone and what the Dutch did to the first African prime minister there, they they basically reinvaded his country, captured him, tortured him, shot him, cut him into pieces, boiled his body in acid, and then ground his bones to dust. So also that they wouldn't, the African people wouldn't have a martyr. I mean, you could look at the South African state in its entirety you could look at what the west has done to mozambique to angola to all sorts of different you know you could look at the diamond trade you you know when you look and you have to acknowledge the fact that global capitalism has been built upon a entire continent and group of people regularly regulated to a slave status and daily exploited you have to be able to look at that and rather than fret about good or bad or what are the parts we like what are the parts we don't i choose to look upon it and say this is something that absolutely displeases me it exists i have to accept it exists how can i live my life in a way that every day brings it more pain and with the eventual goal of its destruction so in short i dig the whole acceptance not so sure on the non-attachment thing yeah, that's interesting. I um, I interviewed someone this morning that uh, was talking about, and I can never, I always butcher his name, um, Thachichnong? Okay, that was horrible. Um, the, he's a, a Zen master uh, in Vietnam who is an advocate of uh, activism in the name of Buddhism, kind of Buddhist activism. Um, kind of the, you might remember the image of the, the guy who set himself on fire to draw mm-hmm. attention to the to the oppression of the the French and the and the uh, foreign occupants on on the Taoists and the Buddhists, for instance. So it's kind of um, yeah. I think that I think that maybe there's burners that are t- using Buddhist terminology that uh, would would say that you know you shouldn't try to help the world but yeah that's that's kind of misguided i don't know if they if they would be speaking for yeah. you know i mean like the, the the actual lamas and the actual from what i've 
observed of of what people are talking about they're not talking about we should be space cadets and forget about the world yeah they're they're talking about okay we we need to like bring you know because clearly the world is sick and oh, yeah. you know there's there's some good stuff that we can offer and we can make this a little bit less hocus pocus and a little more uh you know, realistic and sciencey, you know, and, 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 and help and actually go do things. Me personally, I'm interested in the, uh, in the history and the hocus pocus. I want to go to the place where, uh, where, where Yeshi Tsogil turned into a tiger and flew up a, a, a cliffside with Padma Sambhava on her back so that I can kind of, kind of, you know, experience the richness of the, of, of the kind of the, that's that's just what I'm drawn to um, personally right now is uh, you know what I feel I'm lacking is is kind of that genuine heart I um, you know I listened to all the Alan Watts I heard everything my dad had to say about Buddhism I've talked to a lot of other you know uh, people who kind of got it secondhand um, people, you know American people who who learned Buddhism from other American people and I so I'm currently about to to head off to asia and 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 spend some real solid time there maybe partly wanting to get away from this gross trump america but not because i want to abandon it but because it's too much with me and uh, mm -hmm. just the grid is too much in me and too much with me i'm going to cancel my phone cancel my internet you know get off not not get off the grid like completely obviously i'm gonna still you know have my email address and a, you know a few other things going on but you know get down to where where i can exist on pennies a day so that i'm not just jacked in to all the addictions you know to netflix mm -hmm. and my car and oil and and, and plastic and, and all of these things and then start to start with the center of my universe the monkey in the middle and, and mm -hmm. transforming that into the world that i would like to see and uh, focusing on that rather than just continuing to passively endorse and participate in foreign wars by paying my taxes, you know, and, and, and all of that stuff. I mean, I'm still going to be paying taxes. It's, it's hard to get out of. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you you're know, an American uh, citizen, they're going to make you pay even overseas. Yeah. That's, how, that's how much of a bastard the United States government is. Yeah. Like, oh, you lived in Switzerland for 14 years? Better pay that income tax. Right. Yeah, I can see why. I have a cousin who moved to, you know, moved to Amsterdam, but... You know, I uh, I can see why people are wanting to not participate in you know financially and oh well no the I, drones I, I, and everything. Oh yeah, I get it. And like one of the things I found interesting, um, I, I remember reading something by a Taoist because it was talking about like um, uh, this specific uh, question in regards to like Taoists and violence and self defense and all stuff like that. And uh, they had been talking about the concept of Wu Wei. You know, and this sort of effortless action, the uncarved block, no and the, the idea like, you know, like, of course, you know, if, if, you know, and it was one of those ridiculous questions like, oh, well, uh, if you're so into pacifism, if someone comes in and, you know, is trying to rape your daughter, you're just going to, and, you know, and the, basically the person was like saying, well, the whole idea of this effortless action is action and, and movement and total connection with my inner self to where I don't need titles or morality or these different structures to just to memorize yeah exactly i just act effortlessly that the movement belongs so yes if someone's attacking me then i just do you know i just i repel them or, or you know move uh, the, I, the traditional Taoist way would be supposed to redirect their energy mm. but for me that always stuck to me 
specifically this my own sort of politics where you know it's not about good or bad or anything like that i in in a world that is the way it is there are certain things that do not go with my soul there are certain things that just do not fit with me and i must go out and act against them you again i think a lot of it's also like me personally i'm I'm a little bit more of like a a fire starter you know what i mean like i have plenty of friends in europe but like part of me like they they're they're worried for me in the u.s and you know oh you'll always have a place here right but you'd rather i just don't (laughs) yeah i don't i i i kind of really the first time i fired a gun i was sort of instantly in love not for like oh yeah i get to kill something but just to like the click, the bang, the fire, you know, it was just, whoo, it, it like woke up the little goblin in me that liked, you know, explosions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, just sort of having that, you know, just, I don't know, that's just the the uh, inciting element. I, I prefer to be an inciting element. And if in my own life, barring some, you know, major, major crackdown, which it would have to be, you know, pretty bad, I, I, I think I'm just going to stay put and try to stir up as much rebellion as possible yeah well the clown thing sounds interesting oh man i hope those juggalos beat the shit out of those nazis <laughs> i mean they are there i mean I've, I've never really been the juggalos have always been a very very weird people um i mean someone that wears clown makeup and listens to rap about killing people you can only take so seriously <laughs> but they have they've kind of gotten a raw deal the whole point of the march was uh, back a couple years ago the fbi classified insane clown posse which is the band and their members their fans as gang members Hmm. now we can say oh (laughs) it's a clown gang oh fbi you're funny okay that's that's fair here's the problem if you're a juggalo and you get pulled over with a icp sticker that allows the cop to do a whole bunch of other stuff because now you're a gang member Let's say you get charged with a crime. You don't go to regular lockup. You go to segregation because you're a gang member. And you're going to go in with the hardest, baddest, you know, uh, you know, crazy prison Nazis, MS-13, you know, Bloods and Crips. You're going to be there. Why? Because you're a gang member. It can bar you from jobs. Um, it can get you on the felon, felon list super easy. Um, it's going to go in your court documents. It's something a prosecutor could use against you. Oh, uh do you acknowledge that you are a fan of ICP? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, well, let the record show. Uh, can you explain this to me? Um, I'm not sure. Oh, it's a, did you know that uh, this is, you know, gang memorabilia, Your Honor? You know, it can have a very, very bad effect on them. So they're basically going to D.C. to march against them being labeled a gang. Now, as the gods would have it, it just so happens that the alt-right is planning a march the same day. So as a group of people who enjoy rap music they do not take to particularly to white nationalists so the hope the hope is that we get to see a whole bunch of clowns rapping about just absolute mayhem and violence go toe to toe with like just some scumbag nazis and i mean hopefully hopefully Hmm. it's a bloodbath (laughs) (laughs) so it's not like planned it's just kind of projected well there well, it's no. There have been some rumblings. Uh, apparently, there have been some arguments between the two over Twitter. Now, I mean, you know, these it's little things, and I mean, I guess they're going to be within close proximity of one another. And I mean, as these things go, I mean, 
you can i mean you can only put a group of of clowns next to a group of nazis i mean at some point they're going to have to start communicating or fighting <laughs> you know what i mean like, they're not just going to politely ignore one another you know I, I, in fact, I guess um, ICP, the band that you know these people enjoy, did a whole bunch of songs about how the Confederate flag sucks and all that. I'm sure those will be on wide display. So you know, again, that's just sort of the mad person, devi- you know, desiring as much instability and chaos to the system as I can. <laughs> right on. Well, is there, are there any closing thoughts um, before you mentioned that you had a book out? What was the name of that book? Yes. Um, the book is put out by godsandradicals.org. Uh, if any folks here are leftists or pagans or occultists and you know, sort of like that sort of thing, um, definitely check out the articles there. But it's published through them. It's called Curse Your Boss, Hex the State, Take Back the World. It's a sort of anarchist insurrectionist theory combined with a spell book for the up-and-coming rioter or someone who doesn't like their landlord or the police or what have you. Um, so if you really want to get your magical means into class warfare, you'll definitely enjoy it, and I, I highly, highly recommend it. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for being uh, our guest on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast tonight. Uh, it has been a pleasure, good sir. Enjoy your time in Asia. And thank you very much. We'll be in touch. Will do. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Bones, for being our guest on the Esoterra Nerd Podcast tonight. Special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks you can hear in the background right now. Special thanks to Camille and Kennerly, who play the harp intro and outro to the interviews. Special thanks to Tangerine Dream. And most importantly... Special thanks to you, the Esoteric Nerd, listening to this podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Spacoine noche.